Hey, Oasis Church Chicago, Pastor JP here. Hey, we're so glad that you're joining with us on our podcast today. I pray today that this message stirs your faith, that it builds you up, that it draws you closer to the Father's heart, and ultimately that you just feel the embrace of heaven. We would love to stay connected with you and you to stay connected with us. So please feel free to check us out on our website, oasischurchchicago.com, or download our app, Oasis Church Chicago. Also, you can be sure to join with us on our live stream on our YouTube page every Wednesday night and Sunday morning. Now here's today's message. You know, I'm so thankful. Um, I'm up here today because we have an incredible pastoral team that really believes in women. Um, And it's because of my husband and all of um, the men and the pastors, Ruben, Eric, Nick, Jordan, that encourage and push me to be up here. And so thank you to you men. Um, We need you. We need you. So I'm thankful to be doing this. So today I'm doing Paradox of Joy. I've really fought this message, I'm gonna be honest with you, for probably four years now, when um, someone spoke over me, yeah, four or five years ago, that you need to preach on joy. And I was like, I'm never preaching, so that's impossible to preach on joy. Um, and so that's what I'm doing today. We're in this paradox series. And when JP asked, you know, it's like, hey, do you, want, do you want to preach anytime soon? And I kind of rolled my eyes. I was in a mood that day. And I was like, sure. Yeah, just put me on the stereotypical Mother's Day. I'll do that. I'll do it. And I was like, are you in a series? What are we doing? What, do you, can I do anything I want? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, we're, we're in the Paradox series. I said, cool, what are you doing? He scrolls to May 8th and he goes, he laughs. I'm not kidding you, you guys. He goes, Paradox of Joy. And I bust out laughing and I just roll my eyes and I go, fine. I'll do it. I'll do it. So it's a paradox of joy. And I'm going to read the definition that we've been reading every week. A paradox is, by definition, a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that, when investigated or explained, may prove to be well-founded or true. So basically, everything I'm about to say will sound crazy, but it's not. It is true. And, you know, we've been laughing that all of these messages kind of sound repetitive and redundant. Like we're literally preaching the same message over and over again. And it's the point. Now, the whole point of the Paradox series is to understand the heart of God. Because when you understand the heart of God, um, you understand authority. When you understand the heart of God, you live on mission. When you understand the heart of God, you can walk in faith. When you understand the heart of God, you walk in joy. And so I'm really excited. I really am. I'm full of joy to preach on joy. And so uh, the paradox statement that I will be preaching off of for those that are taking notes is, joy in the world is fulfilled desire. Joy in the kingdom is Jesus being our desire. Another way to say this, joy in the world is getting what we want. Joy in the world, joy in the kingdom is Jesus being what we want. I'm gonna be reading out of John 15 and I'm... (laughs) I don't want to apologize for this. I have a lot of scripture and I kind of have a problem when I, when I preach. I, I'm like, well, they should really get this part of the context and this. And so I just kind of, we're doing it all. So whew, John 15, 15. The context, I'll just give you more context, if you will, is this is happening at the Last Supper with his disciples, with Jesus. And he is sharing with them what is about to happen and walking them through like literal truth. Like he's giving them a step-by-step process with what is about to happen. So John 15, 15, New King James Version. Throwing it back today. The true vine. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser or gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the, because of the word which I've spoken to you. 
Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Wow. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so that you will be my disciples. If you're reading out of this version, this next header, love and joy perfected. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit shall remain that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you that you love one another. Skip ahead to chapter 16, verse five, the work of the Holy Spirit. But now I go away with him who sent me and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you uh, the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me for he will be, take what is mine and declare to you all things that, this father, that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare to you. One more section, guys. Verse 16, a little while and you will not see me. This is my favorite part. And I kind of want to like do the voices because it, it, this part is really comical to me. A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the father. Then some of his disciples said among them, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the father, they said, therefore, what is this that he says? A little while. We do not know, we do not know what he is saying. It's just so funny. And then Jesus is literally listening. Now Jesus knew that he desi- they desired to ask him. And he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Like, yes, Jesus, you just heard them. Most assuredly, I say to you that, we, that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful. But your sorrow will be turned to joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. And as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Okay, that was a lot, but it's all important. And we're gonna teach on all of that. And I really wanna give us a framework before I dive deep into all the scripture of just defining joy and what that looks like. I really desire today to be practical and helpful for you of like, what does it look like to implement joy into your life? And I think 
You know, why I've been so hesitant to speak on joy is it feels like such a um, contradiction in our world today, again, a paradox. And I, I think there's a lot of fear in being called that this message will be spiritually manipulative or spiritually bypassing people's emotions. And I've really asked the Holy Spirit to help me be thoughtful and intentional to those that are hurting, in pain, and filled with sorrow. And so please hang with me if you've already shut your ears off of, oh great, another, another sermon on joy, just to have more faith and we'll have joy. Um, hang with me, please. I could talk about a lot of different stories in the Bible about joy. And when I found out that I was doing joy, I was like, okay, well, there's Job. You know, we could just go to like Job, right? Awful life, but he remained faithful to God and had joy. And I really felt pressed that I needed to speak on Jesus's perspective, how he had joy, how he was joy, but how he taught of joy. And so I wanted to define joy. Kara, which is the Greek noun, and this is all from a, um, a commentary that this is their version of, or this, their definition of joy. It's a Greek noun which describes a feeling of inner gladness, delight, or rejoicing. Joy in the New Testament is virtually always used to signify a feeling of happiness that is based on spiritual realities. Joy is an inner gladness, a deep-seated pleasure. It is a depth of assurance and confidence that ignites a cheerful heart. It is a cheerful heart that leads to cheerful behavior. Joy is not an experience that comes from favorable circumstances, but it's God's gift to believers. Joy is a part of God's very essence, and His Spirit manifests the supernatural joy in His children. That is us. Joy in the deep down sense of well-being that abides in the heart of the person who knows all is well between himself and the Lord. I don't feel like I need to say anything else. We can go home, but I've been told I can't do that. Um, so this is great, right? Joy, yes. He was a God of joy, Jesus, Holy Spirit, joy. But scripture is very clear. We sing about it, which is so cool because I, I don't even think Jordan knew, Pastor Jordan knew that we were talking about this. And we literally sang how he was the son of suffering, right? Sorrow. Jesus was um, said to be a man of joy and sorrow. And that's kind of hard for our brains to wrap around, you know? And in a world that really pushes us to be happy, happy, happy. Like if you're not happy, something must be wrong. Fix it, right? We need to be happy. We need to suppress everything to be happy. Um, and so I really feel like to understand joy, we need to understand its opposite, which is, which is sorrow. And when I was talking to JP this week about prepping for this, I was like, I think I'm talking about sorrow more than I'm talking about joy today. And that's kind of the point. Um, and so again, hang with me. But what brought Jesus sorrow? When we think back to Palm Sunday, Jesus walking um, into Jerusalem, being praised, do we think he had joy? Everyone else did. But he knew full well that these, these people were about to turn on him, right? Like, was it actually a happy day for Jesus? Right, we're waving the palm branches, Hosanna, Hosanna. What was Jesus, what was going on in Jesus's mind, right? Like, that's a humbling moment talking about like dealing with our disappointments of others, right? Like, was he just, I don't think God was a God of disappointment, but just like, oh, they have no idea what's about to happen. So what brought him sorrow? Us, <laughs> the world. It was us that brought Jesus sorrow. And it was out of Jesus's deep sorrow that he fulfilled joy on earth, that he fulfilled peace on earth on the cross. So it was due to sin. It was our sorrow that birthed real kingdom joy. They are each other's friend, if you will. You cannot have joy without sorrow. And what I love about this is that, yes, Jesus was a man of sorrow, but resurrected Jesus, 
he wasn't. He became a, became a man of great joy. Remember when he meets Mary looking for him, um, she's bawling her eyes out and he looks at her. And what does he say? Why are you crying? His resurrection wipes away our tears. And for those that maybe I just offended, joy does not and will never dismiss the sorrow. Jesus still had the scars in his hand. And so he felt the pain. He lived the pain in that, on that cross. But the empty tomb says, why are you crying? So how do we reconcile these two? How do we hold both sorrow and joy together? I really wanted to share two stories that kind of maybe will paint some imagery in your brain and mind of what this looks like. And the first one I'm really embarrassed to share. Um, I feel very youth group right now and you'll understand in a second. Do you remember youth group um, where everything was related to like a Disney movie? And you were like, oh my goodness, yes, it makes so much sense. Um, I don't think this is Disney. I always get confused, Pixar, all of it. But Inside Out, okay, it's one of my favorite movies. Um, If you haven't seen it, I'm totally gonna ruin it for you, but you should still see it anyway. But Inside Out does a great job of displaying emotion in in its complexities. And it's a great movie of understanding just all of it. It's about a girl named Riley, and you see the inner workings of five emotions in their characters in her brain. It's joy, sadness, disgust, anger, and fear. And you see the war between specifically joy and sadness. And they don't understand each other. They keep wanting to like kick the other one out because like they, they feel like the other one isn't supposed to be there. And the character Joy has this core memory of happiness where Riley's whole hockey team is like cheering her on. And it's at the end where as she explores this, that moment came out of sadness. Right before this moment, she was crying by herself because she had actually lost the championship winning shot. And her team had actually come to console her and lift her up. That moment of joy doesn't happen without the sorrow. How many of us have those moments in our life? Like if you're like talking with your husband, your friend, and you're like, oh my gosh, like, do you remember like that part of our life? It was so special. And sometimes they look at you and they're like, that was awful. Like that whole season, all this stuff was happening. You don't remember that? And you're like, no, no, I don't remember any of that. Like our brains kind of do that. Like we forget that. Um, and an article about, because there were so many write-ups about this movie because it was so powerful about the way that we process emotion. It says, sadness simply exists to emphasize joy. And joy, and they're talking about the characters, realizes she shouldn't be finding sadness shouldn't be fighting sadness, but embracing her role. In the end, joy allows sadness to touch all of Riley's core emotions and give them the complexity she now understands is crucial to overall emotional understanding. Like guys, our world wants to understand this. Our world is craving to understand joy and sorrow and how we need both, but we live in a world where we all desire happiness. What does it mean? What does it mean? On a more serious note, where I really saw this come to fruition in my heart and life was in Cambodia. I was 19, I served with a ministry um, that worked with uh, victims of sex trafficking. And it was there that I think I actually saw joy and salvation, right? The kingdom joy we're talking about. One of the safe houses I I worked at, um, there were girls ranging from the ages of four to 17. Four to 17. All abused, mishandled, demoralized, um, but now living in freedom both physically and spiritually. And to be frank, it didn't really hit me how powerful this was. Like, right, I say it and we're all like, wow. But being there, it didn't hit me. I wasn't really um, processing it. And then something unforgettable happened. Um, We were all playing um, in the front yard and I was sitting on, on the step and I see this van pull up and this girl walks out. 
And the moment I locked eyes with her, she, I locked eyes with her the entire way she was coming towards us. I knew that I was literally looking into the eyes of someone that just saw hell. In one picture, I see this one girl, days, only days out of being rescued, walking towards me in the midst of all of these girls giggling, laughing, truly giggling and laughing, who had experienced the same thing. And I thought, how, how could this be? All of a sudden, the realities, the, the disgust, the anger, like just rose inside of me. And I didn't understand how it could be. It was the paradox of joy. I saw desire fulfilled again, both physically and spiritually for these girls that had found freedom. And then I saw the emptiness right there in one picture. And so it was for me that joy really settled in my heart. So joy and sorrow, a match for our soul. Even though I think we all long for joy, we do, right? We all hope that we live a happy life. Um, we inherently expect the bad even like the most optimistic person, right? If I say the word world peace, we all kind of laugh. No one actually believes that, right? We're all like, yeah, world peace one day, right? Like we all fight for it, but will that actually ever happen? There is something in us, sin, that has hardwired us to actually expect the bad. And in preparing for this, I was listening to another message on joy and um, um, it's John Mark Comer. And he, and he talks about a study that shows that it takes three seconds for a negative thought to to be imprinted into the heart and 14 seconds for a positive thought to be imprinted. Sin has hardwired us to be more impressionable toward the bad than the good. This means that we actually have to train our flesh and spirit to see the good. Joy takes intention and attention. We practiced this on our Sabbath this Friday where we all went out on the table and I was like, Titus, what was your favorite, like most joyful moment today? And, and he shared it and I was like, we're gonna count to 14. We all like chanted a 14 together. <laughs> And he, when he gets to 10, he goes, 10, 11, 14, 16. He, can't, he hasn't quite gotten there. Um, but everyone went around the table and we all shared our most joyful moment of that day and then counted together to make it a moment. We're practicing joy together. A quote from Dennis Prager, he says, oh, this is gonna ruffle feathers. The pursuit of joy is a moral obligation. <laughs> what he means is that kingdom joy is an act of the, of the will. Worldly joy just happens to us, right? Like I just, oh, I stumbled on beautiful flowers today. So happy, right? Like kingdom joy is an act of pursuit. It's an act of the will. So this is what we're gonna discover today. We're gonna get there, I promise. Um, how do we pursue joy? How do we actually steward our joy? The people of God always struggled with this and we are still the people of God. And so we are still struggling with this. Um, Right? When you think of Israel looking for short-term solutions and God constantly answering, short-term problems constantly answering over and over. But Jesus came to restore the kingdom to become our desire. Jesus was sent for joy to be fulfilled to the people of Israel. And we today live in both that joy and the joy to come of Jesus' return. So in a dying, broken, hurtful, hateful, destructive, insert every other word you want, world, Joy just seems not true. We're Israel all over again, seeking and starving for joy. So I ask again, how do we do this? How do we live in kingdom joy? 
We're gonna look back to this scripture again, right? This is Jesus sitting here with his disciples, imparting all he has left to share with them, right? He's been living life with them, miracles, healings, all of this. And now sitting at this table where he's like, all right, now this is about to happen. Brace yourselves, it's gonna be fine, relax. But this is why I came, this is what I'm doing, this is what's gonna happen. And have you ever been in those situations where like you're the one about to suffer something, but somehow now you're consoling others, like all the therapists in the room, you understand this. Like you're like, why? Like this is like literally I'm suffering right now. Why why am I taking care of you? And that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is the one about to die, yet he is comforting his disciples. Why? Because he had the greater revelation. This doesn't mean he was happy. He literally went to the garden right after and poured out his heart to God. He wept. He wasn't happy, right? Happy, whatever that word means. He bartered with God, but joy was not circumstantial. Joy was this rooted revelation that Jesus was able to impart. Why did he have to impart it? The Holy Spirit had not yet come. He needed to gift them joy, to have them have an understanding and a revelation of joy before he left, right? They're all just sitting there with Jesus abiding away. And then Jesus says something, as the father loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. Joy from an understanding of being loved. It's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians, and the greatest of these is love, right? We hear it all through scripture, love, love, love. If we have no concept of the father's love for us and each other, we will never possess joy. Joy is this overflow that comes out of knowing full well the Father's love for us. It's why Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me, not do you know me? Knowing Jesus doesn't get us very far. It will not give us joy, but love will. So how do we pursue and steward this? Three things that I want us to, to leave with today. And the first is kingdom joy is found in abiding in Jesus. It's asking the question, am I on the same vine today? Am I connected to the vine? And as we discussed, there's really only two options of where we're gonna get our joy from, the world or the kingdom, only two options. And remember, it's our obligation. So it's our obligation to pursue it. Our connection point matters. The first part of the scripture is so clear. I'm not really gonna overteach this point. Um, I'm just gonna read it again, share a little thought and move on because it's very clear. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Super clear. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will um, ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So what does this look like in your life? It's asking the question and making the declaration, am I connected to the vine today? It's actually taking a second. Which vine am I on? Am I on the world's vine or the kingdom's vine? Just asking that. And then declaring, I choose to be connected to you today. It's checking lordship in your life. It's aligning your heart to his. It's sitting with Jesus. It's consuming your mind and heart. And the reality is abiding in Jesus is this place where the truths form and shape our perspective. This is the framework of joy. It's abiding. Think back to our vision for the year, right? Formation. This is where this happens. We're going to be formed by one thing or another. Joy will be imparted into you one way or another, world or kingdom. I think we overthink what abiding is, to be honest. We, we abide in something each day, like I said. And so it's truly positioning yourself, right? If you're here, if this is the world, it's just turning yourself. I, don't, I think sometimes we need these big revelations like, okay, well, like I haven't prayed, I have my quiet time, all this stuff. Abiding means choosing and aligning your heart to Jesus. Stop overthinking it and just choose it. Abide in him. 
And we'll touch on this again in a little bit. But the second part, as we go through the scripture, kingdom joy grows from love. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in me. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. I have loved you. That's what Jesus says to us. I have loved you. The breakdown of what I just read, I love you, obey me, find joy, love each other. That's the breakdown. If we don't understand or sit in his love, we will not find joy. If we do not obey him and love one another, we will not find joy. This is my, I, this is my like little analogy that I was really proud of. As kindling in a fire is the foundation, right? You need the kindling. Abiding in Jesus is the foundation of, of joy. But what lights the fire of joy is love. Love from Jesus, for Jesus, and for others. So how do we pray this? It's, it's sitting and saying, Jesus, I receive your love. Whether you actually believe that or not, it's declaring again, Jesus, I receive your love today. And once you've received it, it's then saying, search my heart for any hate and anger towards others and deal with it in me and repent for it. How did Jesus overcome sorrow into joy? He served and he desperately loved others. His entire life was purposed to save the world. He turned social structures and scenes upside down and sought to know and serve people. He loved people. Jesus, moments before his arrest, was focused on downloading his heart. We just read it. He's literally, he's about to get killed. And his focus is making sure his disciples are aligned, that he's imparting everything he has. He was there to care for them. His life was a life of glory to his father and service to others. When we have this revelation of this part in building the kingdom, right? We're all here to build the kingdom. Jesus had that for him. But when we have that, our lives become an offering to God, right? For our world and spheres, you know, like what's that old song? Like, I lay my life down at your feet, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Like another youth group, right? Like our, our lives literally become an offering to the world. We're supposed to lay our life down at his feet and become an offering. Scripture says, seek first the kingdom and all will be added. When we seek first the kingdom, our lives become rewired off of self and onto Jesus. Jesus' whole life was seeking for the soul of his father and loving others. He was abiding in his father and through that was loving people. I love that even when Jesus is in sorrow, even when he laments, it's full of love for people. Luke 13, 34, again, the titles, Jesus laments over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, this city that kills the prophet and stones God's messengers. How often I've wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. This is Jesus's version of let me love you. <laughs> right? I just think of Jasmine in my, in my head right now. This is like what Jazz says to me all the time. Let me love you. Um, even in Jesus's sorrow, his heart was inclined towards others. <laughs> this is my only rebuke for the day, I promise. How many of us think we are wallowing in sorrow when really we have a gossip-infested, complaining spirit? That's me. Let me tell you, that won't ever turn to joy. That's not sorrow. When Jesus was lamenting his sorrow, 
was still for his people, right? I want to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks. Like, man, if we were being burned by people and hurt, what would that look like for our posture to be like, let me love you? It's radical. This world is not about us. This world needs us. We get the honor, right? We have the privilege of actually understanding the bigger picture and revelation for people's lives when they don't. So love each other. Just love each other. Without understanding his love and the command to love others, you will never understand and experience kingdom, eternal joy. So Lord, I receive your love today and I submit to loving others. That's what that looks like. Abiding in Jesus and letting it grow from a heart of love. And the last part is kingdom joy is sustained by the Holy Spirit. Have we asked the Holy Spirit to help us? I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into what? A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. No one will take from you. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full." When I read this, I read this as like Jesus's last plea. Like, please listen, focus, please, 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 right? Like I need to go, the Holy Spirit's come, your joy will be full, I promise you. Joy, uh, Jesus needs and desires our joy to be full. Do you understand that? Like he actually desires that for you. So when you're sitting in, in sorrow, when you think sorrow is your portion, he desires joy for you. He makes a parallel uh, to sorrow because he knows that pain is going to happen regardless on this side of heaven. He's reminding us that there is life after sorrow. And I love this parallel because if any of you know me, I love birth. Um, it's a correlation of the cross and, and salvation. You will weep in my death. That's the birthing pain. But when you realize I'm alive, you will rejoice. That's the birth, that's the resurrection. His resur resurrection allowed for joy. And then I'm gonna leave again and you'll be sad, but wait, the Holy Spirit will come and you'll be happy again. Once again, joy may being made complete in sorrow. So what does this look like? What does it look like to be sustained by the Holy Spirit? It's asking, right? It's saying, Holy Spirit, would you align our emotions to your emotions, our heart to your heart? Every night with Titus, I think I shared this over Christmas time, but we sit down and we say, okay, what do we say when we're scared? Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. And, and teaching at a young age to ask the Holy Spirit to help us and to form us and to realign us. I had this revelation of, of joy and asking for joy, of saying like, right, we all pray like, joy, Jesus, would you just give us more joy today? And I don't wanna, I, I really, I wanna be careful not to um, critique our prayers because I pray that still. And so please have grace for me when I say this. But I think our, our prayer needs to be, Jesus, thank you for the gift of joy through your Holy Spirit. Would I have a deeper revelation of that gift sewn into my heart? 
because he's already given it to us, guys. He's already given us joy. It's already a fruit of the Spirit. And so even the last part of this verse says, you'll ask me nothing. And so what does it look like to say, give me a deeper revelation so that joy can be within me? You know, I believe God embodies the character and person of the Holy Spirit. Can we all agree with that, right? We believe God is, you know, all the fruits, right? Two days ago, I had none of this in my message two days ago. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is me. I have to, I have to share this. But the fruits of the Spirit, we feel like we don't get, right? There's some of us that are just like, I'm just not that. That's just not in my personality, not in my DNA. Um, I, I truly had this revelation. I think it's because we inherently believe that God isn't like that. Example, patience. Patience is a weak spot for me. You all know that. Patience is a weak, I'm, I'm a goer, right? I move, move, move. I, like, I don't wait for a lot of things. Patience is a weak spot. And what I realize is that I don't think God works that way. I believe I'm acting in the will of God when I push things forward, you know, for the sake of the kingdom, right? We push, 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 push. I believe that that's God's character, right? I'm doing it in the name of Jesus. Therefore, in the flesh, it's very hard to embody and ooze out patience. I think there's people in here that truly don't believe that God is a God of joy. Look at Israel, look at the cross, look at the flood, look at the garden, everything failed. He can't be a God of joy. It'd be quite difficult to become joy if you don't even believe it's in God's character. It's why abiding is so important, right? When you are around someone for long enough, you begin to trust their character and those qualities in them, right? It's how you build friendship. And so you, at first you don't really trust, but you're like, oh no, this is who you are. This is who you are, right? And you know their character, the same way happens when we spend time with God. And so I ask the question, what don't you believe about God's character today? Maybe it's you don't believe he's a father, that he's good, that he's faithful. I love the beginning of this passage. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser or gardener. It clicked for me. And this sound might be really silly for some of you. Um, both of my parents love to garden. Both of my grandparents loved to garden. And I was like, oh my goodness, a gardener embodies all the fruit of the spirit. When you think of gardeners, and just go with me for a second. Gardeners have a love for growing something to replenish others. Joy when it rains in springtime, peace in enjoying the process, patience to water and watch everything grow, goodness in the harvest, faithful to water, gentle to pick the berries, carefully to not shake others off, self-control to not pick the vegetables too quick before they're ripe. Last one is kindness. I was trying, this is when I was like, oh, I'm trying too hard now. Like, how is a gardener kind? I don't know. Guys, guys, I Googled, are gardeners kind? Do it. The first thing that popped up, I'm gonna read it verbatim. The first thing that popped up was a, like a dating, a dating thing, like compatibility. It says, gardeners are the epitome of kindness. They are sensitive beings who do not wanna harm others. They are kind to plants, birds, animals, children, every other thing. Compassion for others is probably their most important trait. Google, Google just told me that gardeners are kind. A gardener embodies every part of the Holy Spirit. And I thought that was so good, right? We're like, oh, that's the fruit of the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit gives me those things. It's because the Holy Spirit is a part of God. That's God's character too. He desires that for us. So if we're attached to the vine, the gardener filled with every gifting will take care of us. 
So Jesus lays out and forecasts our sorrow and joy and how to overcome it. Jesus had joy because He was joy, right? You're all like, well, of course He had joy. Literally, joy to the world, right? He was joy. But to appeal to His manly side, His fully man side of things, He had joy because He was attached to the vine, His Father. He did nothing apart. Jesus lived a life full of love for the world, not just in His death, but in every moment leading up to every miracle, every healing, every call to each disciple. And because of Jesus' great gift of the Holy Spirit, we too can be attached to the vine and learn how to love. Joy is possible and joy is our portion. I wanna end, and this is, might be new for some of us, but I wanna actually end by having a time of impartation of joy. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says, So affectionately longing for you, we were all pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Impartation happens all the time. We just talked about it. Formation, impartation, things are sown into our lives and our hearts every day. Right? Might come from who's discipling you. Look at Moses to Joshua, Elijah to Elisha, Jesus to his disciples, Paul to Timothy and Titus. We have all been given every fruit of the Spirit. But the same way we seek advice, we seek help, wisdom from those of us that have gone before us or those that you say, that's a wise person. I need to chat with them. I need wisdom today. I believe we can seek out a kingdom joy from those that so clearly have it. There are people in this room where, right, don't come to me for, for patience for me to pray that over you. Maybe one day, that is my portion. Um, but there are people in this room that have an understanding of kingdom joy, that it's just this natural thing that oozes out of you. And so the same way that we receive God's love and give it away, right? Scripture says to do that. We need to receive Holy Spirit joy and give it away. I really felt that on my heart today where I was like, man, we need to have a time where we, those that don't struggle with joy, we need to just impart it and give it away to others. And so again, I know some of this might be new for you and that's okay. But first, I wanna just ask, how many of you in this room, and, and I want this to be, um, how do I say this? We all want more joy, right? So I wanna be specific here. Those of you that joy is something that you battle, that is easier to be in sorrow than it is to be in joy, and you desire an impartation of joy, would you just raise your hand? Keep your hands raised. There are some of you in this room that have a revelation of kingdom joy already. I think of Leah, I think of Karen, I think of Lindsay, I think of Jazz, I think of Kieran, I think of Doug, I think of Autumn and Anthony Murphy, I think of Sophie. Yes, I did that. <laughs> and there's more of you in this room. And so those of you that have already the, the fullness of kingdom joy in your life and understand it, and please don't, this isn't a moment of like, I've got joy and that's prideful. No, give it away. Like we are called to give His love away. I just ask that you would just go to those that are with their hands raised, lay your hands on them and begin to pray. And those of you just reach out your hands and also just intercede. We're just gonna have a time of prayer for those that desire a deeper revelation of joy in their lives. We're gonna worship a little bit and I'll close us out in prayer.